The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to see the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. While he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The women went to the tomb and they found it empty. The men went to the tomb and they found it empty. The tomb was indeed empty, and yet some still didn't believe. Thomas, who we heard about last week, was bold enough to say that he would never, ever believe until he saw Jesus for himself. And yet Jesus says, blessed are you who have not seen and yet have believed. Seeing is believing is so ingrained into our minds that sight is the most and perfect and best form of proof. And yet, even if you were to see Jesus... Would you recognize him? In our gospel lesson that we just heard a few minutes ago, there were two disciples who were walking along the road, and Jesus joins them, and yet they didn't see him. That even though they had Jesus right in front of them, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Which makes you 
ask the question, if you were to see Jesus, and if I were to see Jesus, would we truly see him? Or maybe another question to ask today is, do you and do I really see Jesus working right now in our lives? There was a poll that was taken to, to see why young people were leaving the church. And the research found that one-third of these people said that the church is boring. A fourth said that faith is irrelevant and that the Bible teaching is unclear. And one-fifth said that God was not a part of their worship experience. And now it is my aspiration and the job of every pastor to make God's truth, God's reality, and God's word so relevant and applicable to your life today that by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is unavoidable to do anything other than have your heart awakened to the power of life in Christ. And yet, you and I might still have asked, where is Jesus in my life? Where is he working right now? The good news is that just as for these disciples on the road to Emmaus, that Jesus comes alongside of them even before they recognize it. That in our lives today, Jesus reveals himself to us in our lives out of his love and through his promises. These two disciples, they were, or Jesus had risen from the dead, and it was on that very day that as all the disciples, the the 12 disciples, the women, and then some other disciples who had been following Jesus for a while were all gathered. They heard the, the reports from the women, they heard the reports from the men, and yet for whatever reason, these two decided that it was all over, that they would head home that day. And so they begin walking, and, and Jesus appears right in front of them. That Jesus joins them, and yet it says that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That all of the life circumstances that had been going on around that last week, that holy week, all the, the fear and the, the shock, the hopelessness and sadness, not to mention all of the political and religious expectations that were put on Jesus All of this kept them from recognizing that it was Jesus who had risen from the dead and was right next to them. What keeps us from recognizing Jesus in our lives? Political and religious expectations. That on one hand, Jesus is supposed to bring perfect judgment in this world on our society. Or that Jesus is supposed to bring perfect justice in our society. That God should right now destroy all those who oppose his design for the perfect life right now, or that Jesus should level all obstacles and hurdles that prohibit everyone from living a successful life. The religious expectations of Jesus in my life, that Jesus would, well, tell you what I've been trying to tell you this whole time, and that's that I've always been right. Our fears for the, for the future, our fears in the present of what will happen to the economy, what will happen to our families, for retirement, for safety, for our health, of, of, of hopelessness. Is it what's keeping you from seeing Jesus at work in your life right now, 
just the fact that you can't see the way out. Or maybe the shock. I can't even tell you how many times I've opened up the news to find yet another tragedy and yet another life lost. Or maybe it's just plain that that the busyness of this life leaves little time to recognize the work of Jesus right now. Or maybe I'm just not paying attention. For these disciples, all of the emotional and physical chaos that had happened in the past three days kept them from seeing that Jesus was right in front of them. And yet in Luke's gospel, more than, more than any other gospel, we see that Jesus is overflowing with love and compassion. That though these disciples were broken and hopeless, walking home, having given up, Jesus comes alongside them. That Jesus joins them in their walk. That he, out of his love, would reveal himself as they walk to their homes. And that out of love, Jesus approaches them. That it was out of Jesus' love that before they even recognized him, he was there with them. And he joins them. Because in our lives, we see Jesus out of his love and through his promises. These two disciples, they were approached by a stranger who asked two innocent and yet seemingly ignorant questions. Who could not have known what had happened in Jerusalem in the past three days? Everyone would have surely have heard the commotion as Jesus was paraded into town with palm branches and shouting, and then just a few days later paraded out of town, bloody and whipped and torn to be crucified on the cross for six hours the day before the Passover celebration. Who could have missed this? And while we might avoid a conversation like this, that if you were to come across some people who are obviously looking downcast, wanting to keep to themselves, that you or I might shy away from this, but not Jesus. Jesus strives straight, drives straight for their hearts by confronting them in their hopelessness. By asking these two questions that, that are so, <clears throat> so innocent and yet seemingly ignorant that he would get them to share how they are doing with him. That as Jesus joins them, he would care for them by listening to what they have to say. They were caught in this hopelessness Because the thing and the person that they had put all their faith, all their trust in, had failed them. It's often the case that that you can see if you have really trusted in God above all else or not. But if you can see if you have been really trusting in some sort of false god or idol that you have created for yourself in in a quick, simple way. That whatever you've trusted in to provide you with ultimate happiness and meaning for your life, safety and direction... When that thing is is threatened or goes missing, when it's taken away or inevitably fails you, it's soul-crushing. That's the death of a false god. And what great irony is that these two disciples, they trusted in the right person. They trusted in Jesus. And yet Jesus still let them down. It's often the case, as it is for these two disciples, that when Jesus lets you down, it's, it's often not because you thought too much of Jesus, but because you thought too little. 
These two disciples, they said they, they had hoped that Jesus would redeem all of Israel. And what redeem means, it means to save. But not save like how a lifeguard jumps into a pool to rescue a drowning, uh, a drowning victim. Redeem, in the biblical sense, means to, to uh, pay the ransom price. That to redeem someone is to, to free them from their captors by paying the price. It'd be like paying off uh, those who have been held hostage. And as we heard from the lesson in First Peter, that we weren't paid with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. To, to think too little of Jesus is to think that, that any inconvenience in my life to the most painful thing I've ever experienced, that what Jesus does in my life is swoop down and pull me out before it's too late. But to think too, <clears throat> but to put Jesus in his right work is that means he has redeemed all of Israel, all, <clears throat> it, uh, all of us from the power of sin, death, and the devil. That these disciples had hoped Jesus would redeem Israel from the Roman Empire. But what Jesus did was redeem Israel and the Roman Empire and the whole world from death and damnation. And so Jesus' work in our life is, is what he has done is he has won us back. That through his blood shed on the cross, he has won us back to having to generate our own meaning, our own happiness, our own direction for our lives. That in everything that we go through in our lives, Jesus comes along a side of us, shaping and forming us into what he has intended us to be. That even through minor inconveniences to, to even the most painful thing you may have ever experienced, that is Jesus working with you and working through you to bring about his glory. <clears throat> so, uh, they, they didn't, they, the, what these two disciples did is they thought too little of Jesus, thinking that Jesus only would redeem Israel, but he redeemed the whole world. And still, they, they saw Jesus as he was walking along with them, but they didn't believe it. So Jesus graciously teaches them uh, from the Old Testament. And what, what do you think it would have been like to be a part of that Bible study led by Jesus? What, what do you think he would have, what passages do you think he would have quoted and gone to? Would he have gone to Isaiah, like how we read on, on Good Friday, that from Isaiah chapter 53, that by his wounds we are healed? Or, or even he gave us a glimpse in John 3, 14, where Jesus says that just as the serpent was lifted up in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That, that story happens all the way back in the book of Numbers. But Jesus graciously unfolds the Old Testament before them to show that it, in our lives, Jesus proves himself through his promises. That all the way from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Re Revelation, it's all pointing to Jesus and how God has kept his promises. That we can be sure that Jesus is in our lives, that Jesus is revealing himself through his work out of his love because of his promises. And later, too, later these two reflect that their hearts began to burn as Jesus taught them. That the Holy Spirit had begun to break away the hardness of their hearts and their hearts began to burn as they heard from Jesus. Because Jesus teaches out of his love and God, God's word 
starts to work on their hearts. And so as they walk along, they find that they've already reached their destination. And Jesus acts as if he's going on a little further, but they invite him in. They invite Jesus in because they have had this such an incredible experience of their hearts burning to learn more, and they invite him in. But don't miss this point, that they still haven't got it all figured out yet. They still don't have it all neatly wrapped up. They still don't believe, not, e- not when Jesus joined them on the road, not when Jesus taught them uh, from the Bible study, and not even as they invited him in. But it wasn't until Jesus took the bread and broke it that their eyes were opened and they finally saw Jesus. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and blessed it. And the words and the actions of Jesus are so painfully obvious that you can't help but make a connection to communion. And yet it was at that point that their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus. And then he vanished. How? Well, how do you think he got out of a tomb without anybody noticing? And yet, it wasn't until that moment that they finally saw Jesus. Uh, Over this year, I've been trying to learn as much as I can over Vicarage. And one thing that I know I'm going to take with me is that sometimes God works in this way. That sometimes you don't need to know it until you need to know it. That sometimes Jesus is walking along with you, of course, all the way, even even if you don't recognize him. But there's sometimes when Jesus just has to make it so obvious that he's with you, that he puts a a question into your heart, into your mind, a new thought, something that's never bothered you before, something that's never intrigued you before, that you just have to find out more. Or or maybe it even comes in in, uh, the form of a, a crisis or a tragedy, that all of a sudden you have, you start wondering, how can this be that And it's at that moment that Jesus is working in your life to make it obvious that he is with you. And we also need to remember that that where is Jesus in my life? Well, we don't get a stranger on the road, and our hearts might not always be burning. But we know that Jesus is with us because of his promises. The assurance we have is not in in ourselves but in God's word, which he says to us. An example of this, uh, you don't need to know until you need to know it, is a, a story of a, a woman uh, who grew up in, in, a, faith, in, a, in a house where uh, her parents were, were both religious, but, but she never ended up as part of a church. A, a true story, by the way. And, and one of her friends was a Lutheran pastor, and all of a sudden in her 20s, it started occurring to her that, that she thought she might learn more about what it means to, to, to believe in Jesus. And her friends, would, her, her, one of her best friends, her, her dad was a pastor, so she would drive out to meet this pastor uh, whenever their schedules would line up to, to learn about the faith and learn and study the Bible. And although they had met for weeks, it wasn't until one day that she was walking back to her car when all of a sudden it hit her. Jesus died for me. The, the, the thought was so new that, that she thought, she said it again, Jesus died for me. And it was so overwhelming that she rushed back to the church, burst into the, the, the pastor's office and said, Pastor, Jesus died for me. Pastor looks up from his desk and says, yes, that's what I've been trying to tell you. 
So when their eyes were opened, they saw Jesus. Their hearts were burning, and they saw Jesus, and then they went. And they marveled at what would have, was, was happening. And, and, you know, if your heart is burning this morning, go see a doctor. But if your heart is yearning, longing to learn more about Jesus and his word, longing to, to hear, read, and study the depths of, of God's word and his truth, to, to joyfully join in worship with others, to receive God's, uh, Jesus' true body and blood, to hear his promises for you. If you desire to, to learn from someone else in the faith and to teach uh, another person, if you are longing to, to go out and go tell somebody new about Jesus, to make connections in this community, Imagine a whole community of hearts awakened, hearts set on fire by the Holy Spirit in every generation to the power of life in Christ. These disciples, they believed and then they went all seven miles back to Jerusalem. And I imagine that they ran. For some people in this room, seven miles isn't that far. But for the rest of us, that'd be a struggle. And if archaeology is correct, it could have been as far as 19 miles that they believed and then they went all the way back to Jerusalem. They joined the pattern of believing and then going. As the, 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 uh, the women, they believed at the tomb and then went to go tell the men. The men, they believed and then they went. And here's these two disciples. They believed and then went all the way, all seven miles back to Jerusalem. So how far will you go? It is Jesus Christ who reveals himself in our lives, out of his love, through his promises. You believe it, now go. In Jesus' name, amen.